Hello and welcome to today's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting and I'm joined today by John James, who's the Chief Executive at Soho Estates, the latest in our BossCast series. I've had some fantastic interviews over the last few weeks and if you do enjoy listening to this podcast, please do share it with your colleagues and contacts and please subscribe on Spotify and Apple. Now, John, before we get into all the property chat, I, I think a lot of people would be really interested in hearing a bit of your story about how you came to London in the 70s. You originally began working, uh, well, you were working as a, as, a, as a model initially and then came to run the Embassy Nightclub before obviously moving into property. So tell us a little bit about that history and how you came to be where you are now. Well, yeah, I kind of, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a strange route, I think. But... Um, yeah, I came. I, I look. I came from the north. I came from a white, place called Whitehaven, Cumbria, and I would be what you would call a a financial immigrant, right? There was zero opportunity in the north where I came from, and so you felt that there would be more opportunity in the south, in London. So you come to London and you 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 you, you try to make a living, and it's tough. And it was you know no, you you don't turn up here with. Um, you turn up here and nobody knows who, that, who you are, nobody likes you, nobody wants to know you. You have to struggle. But part and parcel of what, what Soho's story is all about, it, it was always acceptance and, and it always tolerated people and the, um, people, the immigration of, of people and skills. But I arrived and, and but I, I, so that was kind of all right and eventually I, I settled. And and I, I ended up working in a nightclub in, in Bond Street, which is called the Embassy. And the Embassy in those days was kind of hot, a hot club in town. It was 1980. Um, I brought over from New York, which is um, Studio 54 by those guys. And I got a job there as a, as a duty manager, and I worked there until it um, it eventually closed in 19. 1985 because it was all to be redeveloped that site um and shortly after that i got a letter from paul raymond and would i come to see him and i i did and and he sort of said to me look i'm opening a new club in what is the windmill theater and would you come and um and manage it for me and i and i just and i thought well, you know what a what a well what a great opportunity that was so i came to work for paul raymond in 1986 and i ran what was then called paramount city for well, about three or four years mm. and i think the transition to where i sit today is two things um a i married his daughter deborah and Deborah made it quite clear that she didn't think it was a good job for a husband to be managing a nightclub and to be out until four o'clock in the morning. So probably we, a fair. Uh, <laughs> was, a fair I think it was a very fair assessment. So I moved into what was then the youngish property department, and I replaced myself in the nightclub. And I always had to have this agreement that if anything went wrong, I'd go back and sort it out. Because um, you know, trying to replace yourself, I would, was, isn't always that easy. So anyway, I then went to work for Paul Raymond's property department, and to be honest, I, I I adopted the theory of keep your mouth shut, do what he tells you, and you'll be okay, which is exactly what I did. <laughs> and here we are. Well, it's uh, it's pretty good business advice for anybody starting <laughs> out. Um, so in terms of 
now the the, the property department that, that you're now running is worth a bit more money. Um, got a lot of interesting projects on the go. Let's talk about Yona Rose House. That's that's probably the most prominent project that anybody that's wandered up and down Charing Cross Road would have seen over the last 18 months. It's made quite a lot of progress, um, now finished almost. Um, tell us a bit about what to expect with that, John, because you, you know, you've created an amazing new space for Warners, haven't you? Yeah, well, Alona Rose is an is, is, is is excellent story, right? The, the reason it's Alona Rose House is because those are the middle names of my children. Um, so it was the original Foyle's bookshop site, and Foyle, Foyle's had already, Christopher Foyle, Mr. Foyle, had already decided and he'd already bought the next door building, which was the, the, the old St. Martin's School of Art. And, uh, and that, that had become not fit for purpose. So the St. Martin's were off to um, Charing, um, King's Cross to a nice new campus. Mm. And Mr. Foyle decided that his, that shop, that site, was not fit for purpose for a bookshop anymore. And he, 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 he wanted to sell that site and then develop the adjacent building and move Foyle's shop into that and there was a commercial um, f- uh, residential scheme above. So, so the, the site, which was the, um, an acre of land in Charing Cross Road, Manette Street, Greek Street, came to, f- to the market in 2011. And um, there was two, two or three things that were, that were obvious to me any, at the time. Number one, there is no such thing as an acre of land for sale in Soho ever. I was going to say, before. I thought Miss Hardy, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I, d- I doubt there will be ever again, actually. And it was at a time when other, you know, the, the, the usual players, the, the pension funds and the big developers, they were introvertly looking at their finance situation in 2011. And this opportunity came up and, um, and we decided that, you know, this was, it was a real big step for us, biggest thing we'd ever done um, and the biggest chunk of property we'd ever bought and the biggest possible development we'd ever engage in. Um, but we decided it's got to happen, and so we managed to buy it. And we were very—I think we were very lucky at the time—to to just to be sort of the right market conditions for us to be able to to purchase that property. Mm. And then once we purchased it, you got to think, well, what what, what are we going to do with it? Because you know, uh, and it became quite apparent you know we have a real good architect and we had a real good design and you 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 realize that you know you can't buy the land again so digging digging and digging some more is a good idea and we we went down I recently went we've done the full Roman Roman Abramovich haven't you really well we've gone down four (laughs) floors floors. but you know I, I I I, I was quite, I was quite uh, surprised when I sat when I was in the bottom of what is now the Londoner in uh, Leicester Square, where they went, they went down seven floors, and that building's about to be um, uh, well reopened as a hotel. So that was quite an incredible thing. So we went down four floors, and then we came out eight and a half floors, and that building now affords three hundred and fifty thousand square feet of 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 brand new building. The extraordinary thing about it is that it, the footplate on the first floors up is 25,000 square feet of n- with no pillars so it's clear space and 
if you are a big firm or a firm that requires a lot of space, mm. you can't get that in Soho. There's there's no alternate buildings that could accommodate such size. Yeah. So it's going to be a unique kind of offering in, in, in just by its volume alone, apart from its location. And and the post-production studio you've created for Warners, that's going to keep them in Soho? Well, which... Warners were at the, edge, at the end of a lease in Dean Street. They were thinking of leaving Soho. And we persuaded them uh, by uh, in, by a, a, an inducement, enticement, call it what you like. But we kind of said, "Look, if we, we're going to, we'll build you a box in the basement of this uh, building where we're uh, called Lorna Rose. And what we'll do, we'll, we'll to your specifications, we'll build you a big, square, two-story, soundproof box, and then." Uh, the 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 shell space around it, and then you will fit it out as as to what it is you need it to be, and they were at that time thinking of of actually moving out of Soho up to North London, and we felt it was prudent to point out to them that the one of the essences of Soho is that if you are if your staff work in Soho and they they play in Soho, they still maintain the creative spark and they keep talking to each other and you could probably get a whole new bloody script or film out of that rather than dissipating or disappearing in a windswept car park in North London and uh, going home. And they kind of saw the light there and they decided that Warner Brothers should be should stay in Soho. And that must and obviously that was also really keep important. with it, keep with it a whole ecosystem of other businesses well, yeah, that I mean, they, feed they, off it. it if a big player like that leaves and, you know, you, 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 they build their soundstage in, in uh, Wilsdon, uh, you know, it's, a, it's millions of pounds. It's never going to come back. It, you know, Soho would be, would be lost uh, of that uh, use. And, and so you've got to be, it's really important to keep these uses in Soho because, you know, it's part and parcel of the creative and cultural bubble of Soho. And what else can be done to support that? Because a lot of these companies have left over the last 10 years. A lot of the film companies, music studios, other things have gone. Well, it, that's that's the difficulty, right? You know, once upon a time, you know, if you were in the film industry, you needed to be as close to Wardour Street as you possibly could because that was the address that gave you some cred. Now, the world has changed tremendously since, since those days and you don't need to be specifically located in a, in a given area, um, but it is good to be in the... Just in the cluster, in the right? Cur- in the curtilage of an area, right? Yeah. But those areas now can't be guaranteed to be, because it's Soho, it's, it'll be good forever. Because, you know, you, you, you see Shoreditch has done a... You know, it's, uh, that Shoreditch has become a creative bubble. And Hoxton, and uh, you know, people moved out. The, 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 the people who needed bigger buildings initially, and that would be the early TV companies, moved to the north of Percy Street, where the buildings were bigger... And then they moved east, and then, of course, there's Shoreditch, and then there's Borough Market and all that area there, which has become a creative um, bubble as well. Um, the the real problem with Soho in its its wonderful uniqueness is that the construction of the buildings in Soho do not lend themselves to expanding companies. The companies have only got a certain amount of space, and when they need bigger space than that, they are forced to leave, I'm afraid. And yeah. that's a problem. And if we don't, if we ignore that, then we will lose all these companies in Soho. So what what is the solution then? Because when we're thinking about some of these companies 
that make up, I suppose, the vibe of a place. And it, it, it is going to be the studios, the venues, the post-production firms who, let's face it, aren't going to be able to pay the same rents as your hedge funds, financial services businesses. So where is there a middle ground to be struck then between maintaining well, that well, place? I, th- I, think, I think there is a such a place. And, and, you know, we're not, we're not, thankfully, we're not full of hedge funds and financial services around here. I'm very fussy about who will go into Ilona Rose House and I have refused a company that might fit that bill, saying, I don't want you in my building, thank you. But what we've, I think what we've, what we've got to be careful of is that, you, you know, Soho used to be full of um, so many film-related businesses that once upon a time you, any, you'd open any flat door and there would be a guy there doing uh, film editing with two spools and a pair of scissors and a bit of tape. And, uh, you know, now we're all digital. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to concern ourselves that you can be anywhere doing this stuff and you send it um, through the digital network. Oh, to, yeah, no, again, to, I, to I'm talking more generally, I suppose, about just some of the other creative uses. So, like, Madam Jojo's, for example, that's something you're looking to bring back. Creative uses, a.k.a. gathering of people, live music, that kind of gig, yeah, that's always got to be here because this is the heart and soul of where that should be, right? Um, and yes, we are. We, we, we always were bringing back Man and Jojo's. There was a big hoo-ha when Man and Jojo's closed um, through circumstances that were prevalent at the time. But, you know, we didn't close Madame Jojo's to redevelop it into anything other than a bigger, better version of Madame Jojo's, which has been on ice now since the COVID strike. Yeah. But it, 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 the builders are back in there now. Madame Jojo's will be back up in action next Easter. Um, well, possibly not Easter because we've, we've, we've lost some more time. Um, it'll be next year sometime. Madame Giorgio's will return. And what was two, story, two floors down of a, of a rather small basement is now about f- four stories deep uh, of a massive basement. Well, I look forward to that. It was always a, a fun place. Um, and, and one of my other favourite hangouts from... from from being skinnier, younger, and better looking, was obviously the, the the Astoria, which is next to well, it was next to the uh, Yona Rose House, right? Well, the Astoria is just, it's a block up. The Astoria, the Astoria became part of the Crossrail uh, regeneration scheme, and if you looked at what was happening in Trafalgar, in sorry, in um, Tottenham Court Road. Um, you, you, you saw that the Queen Elizabeth II line was about to appear in, in Tottenham Court Road, and that is going to issue 250,000 people per day when that line is operational. The train that arrives at that station, the front of that train is in Shaftesbury Avenue, and the back of the train is in Oxford Street. It's a few years late, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a few years late, but it's coming now. But if you drew a little red box around that that tube station, that became encouraged for urban regeneration of the what was rather old stock property that was around mm. there. So in that space included the Astoria and the, the, the property to the north of it, which was the, the property that surrounded the Tottenham Court Tube. And now the funny thing is, right, there's been two powers that could level blocks in Soho and control the entire an entire landscape. One of which was Hitler, because he dropped bombs on it. And the second one was TfL, because they just purchased it. And normal business doesn't condu- isn't conducted like that. But TfL suddenly bought all that site. All the places were closed down. Then they were demolished. And the new building that's 
been also built during the pandemic is accommodating offices and it is rebuilding a new theatre on the site of what was originally a theatre before the story would turn into um, just a music venue, it was a yeah. theatre. So part of that planning application has, has um, uh, will return a theatre. So there's a theatre being built on that site. Yeah. And is there more you think that could be done across the rest of London to protect these sorts of creative uses? Well, yes and no. Right. If you analyse what a creative use is, creative use is something that... that um, that, that's, that's, well, it's often something that doesn't make money, right? Let's, well, let's, yeah, let's be it, frank about it. It, it. it stirs excitement and, 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 it, and, it, and it makes people happy and you want to go there or you want to enjoy it, you want to be part of it, whatever that might be. Mm. But whoever is doing it cannot live without being able to eat. And therefore, it's got to be viable, right? And if it's viable, then there's been plenty of good examples of viable businesses that have started in Soho and gone on. Soho House for one. Right, so our house is only a little little uh, restaurant in 1990. We built we it's our property. Mm. We were part of the development of that concept, and it opened its doors in 1995, I think. Um, and now it's um, now it's worldwide. Now there's over in the Boulevard Theatre, which we've rebuilt as the Boulevard Theatre. In 1982, the comic strip started there. And I remember going to that long before I came to work in Soho. And somebody said to me, you must go and see this show, right? So you, and you, you go to a, a walker's court, there's a queue of people queuing up to get into the strip club, and there's this other queue, and these two queues look really different, different people, of course, in them. You go in and, and, into this little theatre that was there at the time, and there on the stage is, is what we all know now to be, Dawn French, Saund, French and Saunders, Ed Edmondson, um, the entire uh, comic strip crew just come out of college. This is their first gig, uh, produced by a guy called Peter Richardson, uh, and all of them are on that stage for 40 quid. 40 quid, that's it. Now, they never knew they were going to be a success that they've turned out to be, but that theatre was full, full. Um, they moved on because they got successful and the theatre became, I think it was possibly too small after a while. Yeah. But where does that next cohort of, of comedians then come from? Where did the next cohort of, of small bands play if the LA2 isn't there? If Well, if, if it the, depends uh, where you, it depends. I, I'm not sure I can, I'm, I'm too qualified to debate the music scene and how it breaks these days. Mm. But I, as far as I can see, what breaks people these days is the social network of, of putting yourself out and becoming known by millions of people in the in, in that media. The bands that play in small venues... They are, I think, probably going to. Fe- they would focus more on trying to get into lots of mini festivals that are still going on. Mm. Uh, the, the, the main trouble you've got here in Soho is that the premises that are could even be available are not big enough. If you want to put a band on, the marquee couldn't even make it make it pay. The marquee was in three venues in Soho, and um, now the last one it was in is now a massive pub. But I remember when they went in there, and I think it was prior to that it was a cinema. But the marquee couldn't make it pay. Now you can loads and big names went through the marquee, but once they were big, they didn't go back. Right. Yeah, no, that's fair. So, John, one of the more recent projects you've done with Soho House has been 76 Dean Street, which um, completed a, more recently. 
How does that reflect some of the more modern ways in which people are using members' clubs? Well, interesting enough, the building that seventy uh, sixteen Street was a, a burnt down, burnt out building. It had burnt down and had been left for about I don't know five, six, seven years. Um, and it is the second most historic building in Soho. First one being St Barnabas. Um, and there is a shell of a building. Um, the people who owned it couldn't, we had no intention of repairing it. And we managed to, to buy that building. And we were in, in, in partnership with um, Nick Jones Soho House was to put that building back as mm. near as it used to be originally. And when it was originally occupied by Admiral Lord Hamilton in 1850, then it became a sort of a children's home, a saddler's. It became a saddler's for a while. And and eventually it was an office and it had a, a mural painted on the wall that was painted there in 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 18-something, which was a, a, a naval battle um, scene, which is still there because the fire went up the, the, the other side of the building. So this mural is still there and we saved that. And, and the, the, I mean, one of the good things about that is when it was an office, maybe six people saw that mural. Um, but now it's so a house, maybe 300 people a day see that thing. It's, it's brought history back. But that building was re- recreated into a fairly, well, a very original as it used to be, and and the, and the real trick was that at the rear of the building there was a there was a, a muse that had been bombed had a bomb during the war, so it was not of any architectural merit that building. So we designed it so that all the things that a modern club needs, the air conditioning, the sound, and the pub, yeah, and the yeah. pub and all of that was in the rear. All of all the kitchen equipment and the air changes were in the rear. And what you saw when you went into the f- the, f- the first part of the building, the, the historic was basically historic integrity of what it used to be uh, after it had been you know a burnt wreck for eight years. So it was a real good reinstatement of a fine building to give it a new use. The new purpose being Soho House meant it had a value and meant you could afford to invest money to give it that value. And now we have a wonderful building saved and a real good use that's, that's, that's um, profitable and therefore makes the whole thing work. Well, they're doing some, yeah, doing some pretty cool stuff and, and good luck to Nick with, with the listing that they're looking at at the minute. In terms of other projects then, what, what's, coming up, what's coming up the road, John? Is there, is there more refurbishment? Has, has, have you got the taste for it now? Have you got the taste for doing some more big projects? Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, look, I think Alona Rose has been successful. I, I'm not at all worried about the the rental prospect for Alona Rose because it's unique. It, and, it, and, you know, we're in a COVID period now. People are reassessing what, what office space is. They're reassessing what uh, taking a lease is. We had Simon Durkin from BlackRock on a few weeks back and he was saying that there could now be a strata of super prime offices emerging, basically because people are just going to be a lot more discerning about the sorts of spaces that, that they do occupy. Well, I, I think that could be the case. I think what I see coming is, number one, landlords and tenants will have to be more of a partnership. That We'll probably see the end of an upward-only lease, and we'll probably see the end of really long leases. Um, that's a generalisation because if you if you're in a location like Soho, you will take as long a lease as possible because nobody in Soho gives up a lease ever. But if you are going to talk about what's going to happen in English property, 
there probably will be a different view on how long a lease should be. But what, what we've got coming for us is we've still got some properties in Soho that, that need to be refreshed, uh, re- refurbished, made them fit for purpose, as I call it, because they're okay. They're, they're not terribly um, wonderful architectural. They're no architectural merit per se, but they're a good space and they would be need to be refit. And then once fit for purpose, I'm sure there'll be very many people that won't be happy to occupy them. But the biggest thing we've got that we are Lona Rose now being phase two completed. Our next big project will be Leicester Square, where we own the block of property which is the east side of Leicester Square. So basically there's a, from Chiquitos right round past Burger King and down towards Chancros Road. And that's a big chunk of real estate, right? Yeah. Um but it's all a post-war development because that was, that was another bomb site there in Leicester Square. It's very old-fashioned, very, very archaic. It's, um, it's inefficient. It's, uh, it, in fact, it accommodates at the back more pigeons than uh, people. Um, but the business is on the ground floor where the value is. We have um, Zubar, which is good business. We have the Burger King. We have Pizza Hut. And we had Chiquitos in a row. Now, all of those businesses, apart from Chiquito, which has failed during the pandemic, but, you know, they... they, 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 they You'll have a right, though, if you take away people's ability to buy a slice of pizza on Leicester Square. Well, no, I'm not going to take it away forever, Andrew. What I intend to do is knock it down, <laughs> dig another big hole, possibly five or six floors, come back out of the ground and offer them space back, which would only be more efficient space for them. I'll tell you what would be more efficient. We could have pizza in, in, in Soho that tasted like New York pizza. Well, I don't, I don't know about that, honestly. Because, <laughs> you see, everybody has a little nostalgia about certain places. And I always think to myself, the nostalgia that you one person promotes in Soho particularly is to do with them and their personal nostalgia. And I would say to you right now, if you look out the window tonight, the kids on the street tonight, this is their nostalgia. This is their day. And they will look back on this thinking, this is great. We got out in the streets. We were locked up. Look at us, how much fun we're having. Oh, no, now, I, was, I was talking about pizza. I understand the pizza, but it, you, these <laughs> things are connected to sound, taste, smell, feeling, emotion, right? So in the, in so you can eat any kind of pizza you like, right? <laughs> I personally, you know, I, I would consider that Pizza Express is the best pizza because we, we've been conditioned to like Pizza Express. In the my stamp view. of approval from Prince Andrew as well. Yeah, true, 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 <laughs> true. So, I mean, in terms of in terms of the future of the business, are you thinking about retiring anytime soon, John? Are you are you, you going to go? And, I don't know. Going to go and play golf with Donald Trump? Are you going to go well, and spend I, your time I, fishing I had, in Iceland? What, I, what are you going to do? I had a I had a conversation with a cab driver on my way into work this morning to 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 to, to the office, and he said, "You know, I've been locked up uh, like for eighteen months, like everybody else." And he said, uh, and he said. I was going to retire. He said, I'm not going to do that now. I said, I, I've had a taste of that. I don't want any of that. Thank you very much. And I think a lot of people would probably echo that sentiment right now because however pleasant your your jail might be, uh, and a lot of folk would be very disadvantaged in being locked up in high-rise flats and things like that and share flat shares even. Or um, We've had a taste of what retirement could be well people of my age anyway and i'm thinking oh no i didn't much like that i quite like the idea that you you can uh, you've got projects in, in 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 view you've got creativity on your mind and you've got things that you think so you're i, I the, can do the full, something the here full warren buffett then well not really i mean 
I, I, I would, we're a family business, and I would see that the, the, the you know, the family will continue, and I, I will. And are they, are they involved? Are they? Is, well, is that what you're looking to do? My, no, my, well, my phone, my eldest daughter, she's a director here. Yeah. And her husband Nick, he's uh, he works here as um, investment surveyor, um, d- development investment now. So you know they're a keen part of this business. So you talked a little bit before about the evolving relationship with with occupiers and, and being more collaborative. Which, which John, look, let's face it, it's something everybody says. There won't be. There's not a landlord in London that doesn't say, "Oh yeah, we really, really uh, value our, our customers and tenants." But there has been, hasn't there, quite a lot of of tense. Uh, well, tense, not just tense conversations, but but all-out warfare in some instances over the last 18 months between certain businesses not paying their rent. Where do you see it, and, and how has that collaboration played out for you across Soho? Well, I think, so, I mean, Soho is a fairly, as I said earlier, it's, it's kind of a unique place. And the DNA of Soho is the small independent restaurateur and the small independent business. So if you're suddenly faced with this this catastrophe that we've just had, we as a landlord, because we have a concentration of, of property ownership, we had to come to a conclusion that we better pull together to help these, these small businesses because they will not survive. And if you want a cynical point of view, you say, look, if you're on the whole street and the whole street collapses, you've got one empty street. So what you want to do is to make sure that, that street doesn't collapse mm. and you want to help them to survive. And you've taken a very active role in supporting local businesses, haven't you? Well, I had, I had two or three levers I could pull, one of which, of course, is financial, and the second is time, and the third is the promotion of the initiative of Alfresco Dining, which was to get people to ability to trade in the streets trade out in the streets, remove cars and make space available so that all of last year those businesses had a chance to survive and, and it helped them to do so. And, and then, it has been, it's been really good. It's been fantastic walking it, around, just seeing the bars, feeling the glow of everyone. It, it's felt really different and, and most people, unless you're a black cab driver, would say it's much, much better. Well, I would I would agree with that, and and I mean you know it it it, it doesn't please everyone, but I I think you see when when we first kicked this off, there was you know I, I can only talk to my tenants, right? So I I would talk to I in in the area of all Compton Street, Greek Street, Fifth Street, Dean Street, which is all the restaurateur types. I would contact twenty two people and say, look, we're gonna this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna help. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give you certain help uh, financial assistance and we're going to we're going to we can give you time we can defer your rent to a time and we can give you quite a long time to pay that back but what we really want is you to still be here when this finishes right that's all that's what we're after and when you when those people contacted the well then we had to sort of talk to the authorities about closing the streets yeah and that's that's sort of a, a lot of bureaucracy so the, the upshot is that these people who would, would prior pre-covid would be busy running their own businesses being successful or not so whatever they might be suddenly in adversity these people pull together and we formed something called the soho business alliance mm. and the soho business alliance now has got a um, hundred plus members and these are people who are helping each other daily now they they are all the businesses you, you as you walk up and down all, all Compton Street Greek Street Dean Street Fifth Street you, everything you see 
Oh, most of these people are involved now in the Soho Business Alliance, and it starts with hospitality because that was the that was the um, the vulnerable sector, and yeah. now it should include all other businesses, anybody who has an interest in Soho. And what that means is that this corporation, this pulling together in adversity, has created a spirit which has improved Soho's feel, if you like. These people are. The, you know, I, I, I look at, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm a director of the Soho Business Alliance, but I realise that as a landlord, I eventually I'll step out of that and the businesses will be business um, views and, you know, landlords aren't always welcome in such things. No, but it's, it's good that you're taking an active role in that. And, and if you had one message for the council and, and for the other bureaucrats that are ultimately going to decide if this continues, what would that message be? Well, right now, right now, the council are conducting a series of consultations, and their their view is that there has been a lot of pluses from the Alfresco, not just in Soho, but throughout the, the Westminster um, borough, and it has, and they realise it saved a lot of businesses, a lot of jobs, so they are looking favourably for the continuation in some form to embrace the alfresco feel in not just this area but this area plus now but what they must caveat that with is that they've got to get residence approval now the residents who are not there's not that many residents in soho there's 3500 residents on the electoral roll in soho but the residents are affected by it and 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 the residents let's not forget other people who vote for the councillors mm. so you have a sort of a, a, a sort of a divide between uh, the financial responsibilities of a council and the voting responsibilities of a council. Now, not all of the residents object to this thing at all, but the council will only carry it forward in the future if they have a majority of residential support. So it's quite quite important that out of three and a half thousand residents, most the majority of those people will not respond to such surveys they will not respond to, the, to such things they're quite happy and if if we don't get the right level of uh, interaction with the majority of our residents then basically we will probably disenfranchise about three thousand of them while 500 of them will have a voice and that voice possibly could be negative mm. so we've got to fight quite hard i think just to make sure there's a fair explanation of what the future could be. Um, the consultation that the council are having is extensive and they're trying to get to as many people as possible, which is good. We will all live by the majority view because we're a democratic country. But as long as we've got to sort of enliven the people who come and think this is a good idea, but realise that it could be lost if we do not get the support to keep it going. Well, hopefully people will see sense john because I, I think it certainly saved a lot of businesses and many people would argue it's, it's vastly improved the, the the landscape and and the nightlife around here just just before we finish off tell us about one of the one of the funniest most ridiculous stories of, of your time in london either at the embassy or, or with so just just something something really funny i, I, tell, I tell i was asked this question uh, once uh, on a on a, a soho radio actually and uh, she, she sort of sprung this question upon me, what was your best night out in Soho? And it took me a second to think about what, what could that be out of all the nights out you have in Soho. But I'll tell you this story, I remember this. I came to work for Paul Raymond in, in March in 1986, and I was supposed to start work for him on Monday morning, 
And on the Friday night, he rang me up and he said, look, you need, you need to come with me, come to my flat. We need to go and see this particular band because the, we, the Paramount City was a mixture of bands and acts and dance troops and a variety show, a reimagination of a variety show. So I had to go out and find acts and things like that. So anyway, he rang me up on Friday night. So he said, you've got to come with me and uh, we are going to Reading somewhere. And so I go to his flat and there's Paul Raymond. I haven't even, I've only met him once. I'm, I'm, I haven't officially started working for him. And so I go there and knock on his door and then we go downstairs and it's Charles, his chauffeur's there and Rolls Royce and the other and the CEO was there. And off we go to Reading. We see a band and the band are all right. And uh, I, that, that became what I did after a little while to try and find acts. And then we would come back from wherever we were and we'd come back up to Soho. And at that time, Madame Giorgio's was still under construction. Um, and we went into the piano bar, which is on the corner. And uh, and all throughout this evening, we have been drinking, right, as this, course, as, this yeah. as this has progressed. And I've come from managing a nightclub, and I thought I could drink. I thought, I can keep up with these two, it's not a problem. And I get into the piano bar, it's about now one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, and... Uh, I find myself decidedly feeling like I can't keep up with these two. So I rush into the toilet, make myself a bit better, and <laughs> uh, pretend nothing's happened, come out and carry on drinking. And eventually, I, le- I leave Paul Raymond's flat about five or four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, and I come to work on the Monday morning, and uh, it's my first day. And I remember saying to somebody, my God, Paul Raymond's flat's flash, isn't it? And they said to me, why have you seen it? I said, yeah, I was there fr- Friday night. Well, we haven't seen it. We've never been to his flat. And that was my first day. Oh, well, at least you at least you kept going. But that's a pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty, impressive, uh, pretty impressive record there. But look, fantastic to chat to you, John. Thanks for, for being a, a, great, a great guest on, on Propcast. And coming up on this series, we're going to have the bosses of Argent, bosses of Great Portland Estates, um, the boss of uh, the office group and, and a few others please do subscribe search Propcast on Apple or Spotify and you can subscribe do share this with friends and contacts and if you've got any suggestions for stuff that we should be covering on here just drop us an email but thank you so much uh, to John James from Soho Estates thanks to uh, Alex Peel Howard Martin who are our engineers and producers I've been Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting and we'll see you again soon thanks very much for listening